Hello, good morning, and welcome. Thank you for being with us on this first Sunday of our new time format. My name's Craig. I'm the senior pastor. It's our privilege to have you with us. In just a minute, we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 17. But I'm going to do like I did in the first service, and we're going to take a photo to memorialize this day. All right? So everybody needs to smile pretty. Here it comes. Everybody ready? Some of y'all just gave me a look like I'm not dressed for this, sir. You'll be all right. Here we go. Slow down. That's what it says. We're almost done. Made it. Now, there we go. We have it. We can look at it in six months and decide whether or not we've done our job and filled it up, you know? Uh, it probably was bad. All right, Matthew, uh, Acts chapter 17. As you're turning, let me just say a few things to you. Um, thank you. Just pay attention to the times. Hopefully none of you showed up late to anything this morning, but this is our times moving forward. I would remind you we've got some new invitation cards. You can pick up some out front to help you invite somebody to come to church with you. It's got our new times on it. So use those. Um, I want to remind you that if you're a guest with us and you've never filled out an invitation, or excuse me, a connection card, please do that for us. It's uh, either online at malvernhill.org slash connect, or you can use the paper copy in your bulletin. There's probably even one stuff down in the pew pocket right in front of you so no excuse for you not to do that it really helps us a lot help it just like we would like to drop a card in the mail to you this week and just let you know that we appreciated having you here with us all right having said that hopefully you made it to Acts chapter 17 we're going to begin reading in verse 22 and we're going to read all the way through verse 34 okay please stand with me in honor of God's word so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even one of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysius and the Arop, the Arop, the Arop Agite, and the woman named, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Let's pray together. Father, I pray you'd speak to us through your word. We thank you for the love and grace you give us. Father God, we thank you that you meet with us. Let us never take it for granted. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Maybe Batman or Superman? Maybe you want to be Maverick 
Or even maybe like Tom Cruise from A Few Good Men, you know, I just want the truth. We all kind of want those moments in life where we can be the hero. We love these stories and something in us desires to be the good, the good guy, the good gal, the, the, the hero that's present in those stories. And Paul's speech on Mars Hill is one of those sort of hero moments. It's the big story of Paul's ministry. When it's all said and done, even people that don't know a whole lot about Paul know about Paul's sermon there on Mars Hill. Now let me give you a little bit of a disclaimer. Throughout this sermon, I will say several different things, and they're all synonymous. So Paul preached at the Areopagus, to the Areopagus, and on Mars Hill all at the same time, okay? So um, this has to do with the way that the Greek culture was over, overrun by the Roman culture. Uh, the Areopagus was the group of people who met at this particular place. The Areopagus was also this particular place, which was kind of like a stone amphitheater. But, to the, uh, so that was the Greek uh, telling of it, but to the uh, Romans, it was Mars Hill. And so, repeatedly throughout this, you'll hear it spoken of in a different way. Just know that I'm talking about the same place, okay? But a, a lot of times, we want to be the hero. And so, Paul's story here on Mars Hill is like that big hero moment. It's the, the big speech that he gives. It's this big defense of the Christian faith that he shares. It's the most famous, and there we can learn a lot about how we should share our faith and how we should do it in public spaces, the public sphere. But I think that, that what we can learn from Paul's ministry isn't necessarily to focus on technique or sort of defeater questions. Paul was bothered by the idolatry around him. And as a result of that, that grief that this sin gave him, he desired to see the men and women of Athens saved by Jesus Christ. You know, I want you to know very few of us are going to ever have the opportunity to sort of do these apologetic encounters in front of a big, big studio audience, as they say on television, right? Rarely are you going to be engaged in a public debate um, for the sake of the gospel. I'm 42 years old. I've been in ministry for all of my adult life. And I believe there's only ever been one time when I was sort of in a big public debate uh, with you know, a large gathering of people around and I was debating the merits of Christianity between me and one other guy with this huge throng of people gathered around. And even that time I wasn't planning it, it just kind of happened by accident. I say that to you to say this this morning. If your vision of sharing the gospel or your vision of apologetics looks like what Paul did at Mars Hill, you're going to be sorely disappointed because most of your ministry is going to be one-on-one -on -one evangelism. And so most of our efforts need to be focused on how it is that we can share the gospel one-on-one -on -one with people and see them come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. With that being said, I do believe that there are four things in Paul's ministry right here in Athens that we can all learn from uh, as we consider what in the world are we going to say. What are we going to say when we find ourselves in those particular situations? The first thing this morning is I want you to earn the right to be heard. Earn the right to be heard. Heard. Now, Paul received an invitation to speak at the Areopagus, okay? This was a, a gathering of learned and important men in the community of Athens. We, we read last week that the Athenians just like to get together and hear each other talk. They like to hear the new ideas. They like to debate them and talk about them and argue. Uh, Paul didn't just get to walk up in amongst them and say, here I am. Now listen to what I have to say. Instead, Paul had to earn the right to be in that particular place. How did Paul earn the right? Folks, I want you to know that Paul did what you and I have got to do. He earned the right by first loving others. If you want to earn the right to share the gospel with others, you've got to do so by loving first. Love first. You see, evangelism is not the same thing as arguing. 
And evangelism, especially effective evangelism, certainly isn't primarily about winning an argument. We are commanded to love. Love first. But look, it's not just love that person. We're supposed to love that person. We love our neighbors ourselves. But we also love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is where it all comes from. Now, would it have potentially been hard for Paul to have responded and loved all the things he encountered there? Without a doubt. Athens was an incredible place. Athens was a place that was filled with idolatry. The Bible teaches us that. But we also know that the primary focus in the city of Athens was their patron goddess, Athena. So if you can imagine, if you would, the Oropagus is this sort of stone outcropping. And this is why some things in the Bible and in the ancient world can be hard to understand. Because you had the Oropagus, but then standing sort of across the way, you had another rock outcropping called the Acropolis. Right? Those are two different places, believe it or not. And on the top of this Acropolis was a giant temple known as the Parthenon. And in that temple, in the Parthenon, there was a very important statue, a very important idol, a very important idol of a goddess. It was an idol of the goddess Athena, the god of war, or the goddess of war, as it were. And so Athena is here standing in this place. And the statue of Athena... It's four stories tall, 38 feet nearly, hand-carved, covered in gold plating, real gold metallic plating. It's been hammered out into thin sheets and wrapped around this statue. Now, I'll be honest, when I read that, I didn't fully appreciate it until last fall. Last fall, my family and I went to Nashville, and while we were there, we went and visited the Parthenon in Nashville. I just told you it was in Athens, so you're a little confused as to why it would be in Nashville. Well, the reason is that once upon a time, before Nashville became the country music, you know, center of the center of the country music world, Nashville was known as the Athens of the South. Some of y'all don't believe it, but it's true. That was sort of the goal. This is part of why Cornelius Vanderbilt built Vanderbilt University where he did. Vanderbilt University stands across the way from this big public park where an, a near-exact repl repl replication of the Parthenon exists in Nashville. So you can walk into the Parthenon in Nashville. You can tour. And, and so at it, 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 one time it was a, an exhibit for the World's Fair. And so there's all sorts of historical artifacts in there uh, related to Nashville. So you've got uh, you know, stuff about the World's Fair and stuff about Nashville. But then you... You finally make it into the primary room of this place. And here in the primary room of the Parthenon there in Nashville is, as best as they could, an exact replica of the statue of Athena from the original Parthenon in Athens, Greece. And so you can walk into this room and you can look up 38 feet high to the very tip top of Athena's head. And you can recognize the incredible cost, financial cost, to construct such a, a, a piece of real artwork. Now, but we also have to keep in mind that this was done in the ancient world where they didn't have modern tools and modern machinery. And so in the ancient world, there was this effort to carve this gigantic goddess. And then at great expense to hammer sheets of pure gold to wrap around this goddess's body. And the people of Athens would go and they would worship before this goddess and others. When I stood before it in Nashville myself, I realized just how committed these people were to their idolatry. 
how much they were willing to spend on their idols. And I recognize that for Paul, that righteous anger had to be so just complicated, right? Because he sees not only the hold these idols have, he sees the amount of money and time these people are giving. And yet, even in the midst of all that anger, Paul did not cease to love. We have to love first. And so Paul's evangelism and our evangelism and apologetics should grow out of our love for God and others. That's the reason Paul was able to be angry and still to find a way to get invited back to talk with these people. When Paul spoke with them, they didn't see this was a guy that was just out to get them. When Paul spoke with them, they saw him as a man who loved them enough to say hard things. They saw him as a man who loved them enough to meet them right where they were and to give them the good news of Jesus. Now look, the title of this sermon is, But Some Believe. We know that some did believe. We celebrate that. We also know that a lot of people mocked Paul for the message that he was proclaiming. Folks, as you get serious about sharing the Lord, I, I, I know this, people will come to faith in Jesus. I also know that some folks will mock you for your beliefs. But our love for the Lord and our love for others must compel us to do even more. So earn the right to be heard. You want to get invited back. How did Paul do it? He went to where they were. He went all the way down, met them at the marketplace, right? He shopped. This was shopping for Jesus. This came up our life group this morning, and apparently there are some women that are wanting to start a marshal's ministry. Um, and it, for those of you who don't know what that means, that means they just go meet there and they go shopping, and somehow they blame like ministry for it. I think that it's probably sinful when we think of it that way. Um, but this is what it looks like to earn the right to be heard, to actually spend time with people, love them enough that they, that they, they would invite you back, that they want to hear more that you have to say. We don't just get to kick the door and say, I'm here, now shut up and listen to what I have to say. No, no, no. Earn it. Work diligently. The second thing this morning, I want you to find a point of connection. Find a point of connection. Remember, Paul went shopping. He went shopping. Don't miss that. Why? Because that's where the people were. That's where the people were. You're not going to reach people from Jesus sitting at your house. I, I like my house. Some of y'all really like your houses. I get it. Some of y'all are introverted. I get it. Sometimes I want to be introverted. Nobody lets me, right? Uh, when I try to be introverted, I like close the doors in my house so that nobody can find me or bother me. And suddenly I look up and everyone's there. It doesn't make any sense to me. But you're not going to reach people from Jesus sitting inside your house. You've got to get out. You've got to meet people where they are. Find that connection point. What's that look like? Somebody said, well, Craig, I'm not like you. You just talk to everybody. I do, and that's true. I get it. I, I, I will own that 100%. But do you know there are things you can do to find connection points with lost people? Just in the early service, I mentioned that maybe you're a person that likes to go out and get a cup of coffee once a week. Not everybody does what I do. I go and work in a coffee shop once a week and spend a couple hours in there peck, peck, pecking away on my keyboard and getting over-caffeinated. And I enjoy every minute of it. And I get to meet people that way. But some of y'all don't have that same opportunity. But once a week, you stop in somewhere and you get a cup of coffee. What if you were to stop in at the same place once a week and get a cup of coffee? What if you just showed up five minutes early so that you didn't have to sit in the drive-thru? You could actually walk in, see somebody face-to-face, -face, order your coffee, and, and try to get to know that person. What if you went back next week and that same person was still working the same shift in the same place and you were able to remember that person's name and let them know you've been praying for them that week? And what if you went back two weeks later and you told them and they said, I appreciate you praying. You said, how could I pray for you? They said, would you pray for my mom? She was diagnosed with cancer last week. That would mean the world to me. And you go back three weeks later and you say, hey, I've been praying for your mom. How are things? And she's really bad. She started treatment. You just continue to pray. Maybe six months down the road, you've been praying for this same person over and over and over again. It hasn't cost you anything that you weren't already paying. You're already paying seven, eight, seven or eight dollars for those fruit-free drinks you like to drink anyway. You went in there, you got all the sugar and all the caffeine, and you gave them all the Jesus. And over time, the only thing that you did different in your life is instead of going through the drive-thru, you actually walked in somewhere and you met somebody. 
Did it inconvenience you about this much? It did. It inconvenienced you about that much. But what did it give you the opportunity to do? It gave you the opportunity to build a relationship. It gave you a point of connection with somebody that you might could share the gospel with. You know, part of the reason we're not sharing the gospel is because we're just not courageous enough to do it, okay? Let's just be honest. For some of you, part of the reason we're not sharing the gospel is because you're not convinced enough to do it. You're not really believe 100% in your heart that if people die without Jesus, they'll go to hell. But I'm going to tell you something. One of the big reasons we're not sharing the gospel with people is because we're really comfortable and sharing the gospel with somebody would just require me to be a little bit out of my comfort zone. It might inconvenience me if I shared the gospel with somebody. Folks, we've got to be willing to do that. Find that point of connection. Paul went shopping because that's where the people were. He knew where the people were going to be, so he went down to the market. And there he met several different kinds of people. And he began to engage with these people in conversation. You know, conversation is what makes the world go round. If you'll find people where they are and you'll begin to engage with them in conversation, you've got some pretty awesome opportunities. Regularly put yourself where you can minister to others. Regularly put yourself where you can minister to others. And be thankful that you're not the pastor. Here's why. Because when you put yourself in a place where you can minister to others, you're going to come up with conversations. You're going to try to find those connection points. So maybe it's somebody sitting two tables over and you just say, hey, I like your shoes. And they say, oh, thanks. And that's just an open door for you to have a conversation. I don't know. Maybe they're wearing like a, like a Gamecock hat. And you hey, hey, we suffer together. I, too, am a Gamecock fan. And I'll be a shoulder for you to cry on if you need it because uh, we, we've had a bad weekend of baseball as Carolina fans, you know, maybe that's where. Maybe they're wearing a Braves shirt. Maybe they've got on. Maybe they got on a Clemson jersey, right? And you know the re, the, that you're supposed to throw things at them because they're wearing a Clemson jersey. But you walk up to them, you say, "Look, I love you enough to not ridicule you publicly in this place for wearing that orange, and I love you enough that it's obvious that you need Jesus. So let me just give you some Jesus." There's a lot of things that we might be, but you, but you understand, like whatever the, the, the point is, just be careful. Don't, don't assume that it has to look like what I do or what you do. You, you're going to find opportunities across the board, but inevitably in those conversations, and this is why you, you need to be thankful you're not me, inevitably in those conversations, you're going to say, well, what do you do? And when they ask, some of you are going to go, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I, I educate my children. They go, oh, my goodness, that's so awesome. Why are you so patient and kind? And you're going to be like, patient and kind, I don't know who you're talking about. You know, or, or you're going to go, I'm an engineer. Like, really? That, I've always wanted to do that. You know, I, I run a backhoe for a living, and every man around you is just going to flock in and go, I've, I've wanted to run a backhoe my whole life, and nobody let me touch one. Can I, come, can, I, can, I, can I come to work with you one day? But when you do this, oh, I'm a pastor. Here's what they do. They go, oh, you have a good day. <laughs> All of a sudden, the conversation ends. I try my best not to tell anybody because it just freaks them out. They can't figure it out. I don't know exactly why. So be thankful you don't have that, but just look for those points of connection. And when you find them, use them. But y'all, put yourself regularly in places where you might meet somebody. For some of you that you've got some of those built-in opportunities, like Little League Baseball games or something. Well, if you've got those built-in opportunities with a Little League Baseball game, show up 10 minutes early and leave 10 minutes late so you might actually be able to have a conversation with somebody that matters. Look for those connection points. But then we need to use those connection points to pivot because in those opportunities, we've got to make sure that we do the third thing, which is speak the truth. We have to speak the truth. What was Paul's pivot point right here? He says, I see that you have all these idols. You even have one to the unknown God. Now listen, I, I don't believe at all that Paul was saying to them that 
you understand the God of Israel exists, but you just don't know his name, so you built an idol for him. And the reason I don't believe that that's what Paul was doing is because the same Paul that wrote or that gave this, this sermon or, or speech is the same Paul that wrote the book of, of Romans. And in Romans chapter 1, we are told, we are told that men are sinful, and as a result of our sin, we worship and serve the creation rather than the creator. That we should have known the better thing and the right thing, but rather than doing those things, we did whatever we wanted to do that made us feel good. See, what I believe is that Paul is offering or issuing them a bit of a reprimand right here. He says, you've even got this altar to the unknown God. The reality is that you are so opposed to worshiping the one living and true God, the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh God, the God of Jesus Christ. You're so unwilling to worship him that you would even build an idol to an unknown God just to sort of assuage your guilt. And Paul says, that is not a God. That is not a hope for you. He says, I see that you're all very religious. And because you're religious, I know that you have an interest in things. But let me tell you about the one God that matters. See, that's the pivot that Paul makes. It's a creative pivot, but he's there. He sees a place of contention, uh, not contention, sorry, of connection. And from that connection point, he launches off into a gospel presentation. Y'all, when we do this and we have these opportunities, we need to get there as quickly as possible. But we've also got to make sure that we focus on God's truth and not our passions. Remember I said that Paul was in Athens and we read last week at the very end. Let me just read it to you because you might have forgotten. Um, in uh, chapter 17, verse 21, the Bible says, Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. These are people that loved a good argument. Their last name was probably Thompson. They loved a good argument, a good debate, a good conversation. I've told you all before, like, I have to wrestle against that in my own life. I like to win arguments. I don't just like to be in them. I like to win them. I have to work really diligently to not give in to the baser parts of me in those things. That's hard for me. Um, but Paul knows that these people just love getting around and talking. Paul is a really excellent philosopher. We know that because we've read his writings. Paul's an excellent public speaker. Paul's a very educated man. He was educated in, under, or under Gamaliel's teachings, right? And there he would have been educated in a Jewish school in ways that was similar to the Socratic method. There would have been a lot of question and, and answer, a lot of call and response there. Lots of memorization. He is an educated man who knows how to engage in debate and in argument, in philosophical discussions. Without a doubt, Paul is probably the guy that really enjoys these things. And he stands up in front of them, though, and he cuts straight to the chase. He gets right to the heart of the matter. He speaks the truth. He doesn't get bogged down in his passions. He doesn't get bogged down in the periphery. He gets right to the gospel. Gospel. Imagine this is hard for Paul. Can you can you just imagine him standing out and he's pointing over here at the Areopagus at the at the, at the um, uh, Parthenon, right? He's he's pointing across the way and he's like, "Look, you sorry people at all these things you've done. Turn, repent." Maybe he could have got caught up on that hobby horse of just be beating them down for what they've done, but instead he wants to make sure that he opens the door for the gospel and he keeps it as open as he possibly can we've got to do that we got to focus on the truth and not our passions do you like a good argument fine when you're trying to share the gospel with somebody that's not the place to get into it focus on the truth and don't get caught up when you have an opportunity for personal evangelism recognize that your goal is to see somebody come to faith in jesus christ not to win an argument so if it begins to take a left turn into an argument here's what we got to do Ma'am, I, I didn't come here to argue with you. I just wanted you to know that God loves you. And because this is going in a bad direction, I think it's best if we just walk away right now. 
Here's my phone number. I'd love to continue this conversation with you later. Let's not ride our passions. Let's not get lost in the margins. Margins are one of the places that sometimes my evangelism can get derailed. Because it's in the margins that we can get lost in debates over politics or the death penalty or global warming or abortion. All those things might matter. Matter of fact, I think they all do matter. But if I'm trying to share the gospel with somebody and the first thing that comes up is, well, I, 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 I don't want to have your conversation because people like you don't believe the way I believe about X. Well, you can take an opportunity to explain the horrors of abortion. And how wrong that it is. And I would support that. But here's the reality. If you choose to engage in that conversation, you're going to miss out on the opportunity to engage in the evangelistic conversation. Folks, the first step in our conversation, we're trying to talk to somebody about Jesus, is not trying to get them to vote the way we vote or think the way we think. The first thing is to get them to know the Savior that we know and then to trust that that Savior can change their heart. And if we will do that, we might actually see people get saved. It's a crazy thing to consider, I know. But it might actually happen. We can't get lost in the margins. You know, just because there's the opportunity to chase it somewhere else doesn't mean that we should. I got to stick to the plan. And the plan is to get us to Jesus. This is not a typical sermon on Mars Hill, by the way, right? This is not the sermon I'm giving you is not a typical sermon on this passage of scripture. Because usually these sermons are focused on the arguments that Paul made and the apologetic techniques that he used. The reason we're not going with that traditional sermon is what I told you in the very beginning. It's because very few of you are ever going to have the opportunity to stand in front of 50 or 100 or 200 people and defend the Christian faith. Far more often, we're going to need to have those conversations one-on-one. But let me just say this, in a public setting, it is different. It is different, right? Let's just say that I get called in to debate you know, so-and-so Mr. Famous Atheist or so-and-so Mr. Famous Liberal Christian or whatever it might be, and I'm, I'm called in to debate a specific task, a specific topic, and there's going to be 500 people gathered around. In that moment, my debate with that person has to look significantly different than my conversation with Johnny, who it just needs Jesus today. But watch, even in that moment, i got to make sure that I love first because there's 500 people that are watching me. And they're making a decision about what they believe about Jesus based upon the way that I behave and the answers that I give. And folks, the way that I give the answers often is going to matter even more than the answers that I share. Be careful that you're not using your evangelistic opportunities as chances to set people up so that you can then ambush them with the right answer. Don't be that guy. Look for points of connection, speak the truth, and then fourth, continue the conversation. Now, What we have is Paul calls for a response. We know that because the Bible says some believed. Some believed. Yes. I want you to call for a response when you share the gospel with others. But I want you to be aware that that call for a response might not be the formal kind of call that you expect. Calling for a response might not be every head bowed, you know, no one looking around. Come forward if you want to give your life to Jesus. Hey, if that happens, praise the Lord. Absolutely. Man, how many people can we get to Christ? I'm all in. A lot of times that call for a response, though, is going to be a little bit more simple. Hey, I've, I've got this gospel track. Would you take it home and read it? Could I, could, I call, could I talk with you sometime later about what you read in this? That's, you, do you know that's a call to response? 
Hey, I understand that you don't seem to really be buying into everything I'm saying, but would you at least go home and think about this? Do you know that in that place you've called them to respond? To engage in the conversation? Folks, we want to have a call to response. Your call to response might be, hey, I've been sharing this with you for a little while. Would you come to church with me this week? What happens when they say no? When they say no, we work diligently to leave the door open to seeking deeper relationships. We should always seek deeper relationships with people. There's going to be a lot of people that you're going to share with for a long period of time. And you're going to invite them to respond to the gospel. And they're going to say no. The Bible says, according to this, that some believed. But others mocked Paul. The thing I want us to focus on, though, is that the same people who were mocking Paul were probably mocking Paul a few days prior when he was speaking with them in the marketplace. They weren't buying what he was selling, but they said, Hey! Hey, you got a new teaching and everybody around here likes a good performance. So why don't you show up to the Areopagus on such and so date. Everybody will be gathered there together and you can, you can sell what you're trying to sell. Do you know the possibility exists that the same people who mocked him after his speech at the Areopagus were mocking him in the marketplace? They didn't believe him. They made fun of him when he started talking about the resurrection. They were making fun of him for that when he was in the marketplace, but he still worked really hard to make sure that he maintained the relationship because in maintaining the relationship, he was able to continue the conversation. Listen to me. You've been working to share the gospel with the same person over and over and over again. You've been praying for them. You've been working with them. You've been doing it for months, weeks, years, whatever the case may be. Finally, the opportunity presents itself. You invite that person to come to church with you. Maybe you invite them to pray with you. Maybe you invite them to come to Jesus. And they say, you know, I don't think I'm there yet. Please do me this favor. Don't wash your hands and walk away. You've spent time and energy investing in that relationship, in that person. When that person says, I don't think I'm there, do you know what you have the opportunity to do? You have the opportunity to look at them and say, I understand. I'm hoping you'll get there one day. But until then, just know I'm going to come back next week and we'll continue having this conversation. Do you know that in that moment, you just made that relationship stronger because you showed that person that their denial didn't drive you away? Leave the door open for more. Leave on a good note. And do this. Try and get some contact information. I was just with somebody just yesterday who was telling me that He'd had a conversation with, uh, with somebody who's doing some work at his house. And he got a text message while I was with him yesterday about the gospel conversation he had. That guy didn't come to know Jesus. He might not come to know Jesus. This guy's far from Jesus, apparently. But there was still enough that went on there that a conversation was continued. And through that conversation, some opportunities, we hope, will present themselves for the gospel to be shared again, more clearly, or perhaps even by someone else. And that's really when it's all said and done. That's the whole, the whole gist of this message. What will you say? I think it's a shame when we reduce our evangelism and our apologetics to a technique. Now, I'm not opposed to techniques. So let me just, like, I want to be clear. 
I, I, we use three circles here. We think that's an, a wonderful way to share the gospel. I was taught to share the gospel using the Roman road, and that's still how I do it most of the time. But there's got to be more than a good technique. There's got to be real relationships with people that seek to really, absolutely make a difference. That we would love the Lord our God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbors enough that we would be driven to obey Christ in the Great Commission. To go and to make disciples of all nations. Paul had a unique opportunity there on Mars Hill. And it's an opportunity you or I probably won't have. But many of you are presented with unique opportunities every single week that the Apostle Paul never had. It's a co-worker or a friend, a neighbor, a parent. Think about what it looks like to try and share the gospel with a parent who's far from Christ. If you think that it doesn't matter that you earn the right to be heard and you look for points of connection, then let me just challenge you this way. Do you have a parent that's far from Jesus? This afternoon, just, you know, pull up in their driveway, kick in the back door and go, today's the day you heard about Jesus. And let's just see how that goes, you know. You know, a good chance that 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 relationship is going to get fractured. Potentially beyond repair. But when you have that parent or that child or that sister or that brother that needs to hear the gospel, when they know that you love them at all costs and they see you continually trying to weave God's love and God's gospel into conversations, they may still not want to hear it. But watch this, if you do it repeatedly, some will believe. Some will believe. So what will you say? Are you busy sharpening up your evangelistic and apologetic skills for having the exactly the right words? I want you to know as much of God's word as possible. But I want you to know so much of God's word that you are compelled to love others more than you love yourself. That you are compelled to love Jesus above all else. You are compelled to love his gospel with every inch of your being. And as a result of your love for him and for his gospel and for other people, that you are driven to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that you would share so passionately and so lovingly and so patiently that like the Apostle Paul, somebody might look at you and go, could you come share this with other people that I know? The Bible says a lot of people mocked Paul, but some believed. Would you leave here with that encouragement today? But some believed. You may be that person today who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may be the person who has said for far too long that you just don't need all of that. But today needs to be the day that you become part of the some who believed. And if that's you, I want to invite you today to come forward. I'd love to pray with you. Help you understand what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Perhaps that's who you are and where you are. Some of you may be here today and you really need to repent of the way that you've tried to share Jesus with others. That your sharing of Jesus has been angry 
or it's been confrontational or it's just a little bit too saucy and you recognize that what you need to be doing is praying diligently for these people looking for connection points pivoting to the truth and then working to maintain the conversation because you can only win somebody to Jesus if you're talking to them I don't know where you are but I know this I know the Apostle Paul worked diligently to earn the right to be heard. And as a result of that, we know who Paul is today. Today, however the Lord's working and moving in your life, I would invite you to come forward. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, let today be the day that you become part of the some who believed. You may regret many things, but you will never, ever regret that. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you, we praise you, we thank you that Jesus Christ is enough. Thank you that we get to be a part of the some who believed. Pray, Father, we would never take that for granted. Help us to be evangelists that look like you. Help us to be Christians that love well. And God, let us never forget that we are Christians because we were first loved well by you. We trust you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.